All right, well, if you don't already feel welcome, I hope that you do now, but I do want to take the opportunity for one final welcome to, to all of our guests. Hey, we don't want anything from you today. We just want you to be here and, and eat with us and have a great Sunday. Leave out of here, not just a better version of yourself, but more like Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. We've been in a series called Lead me. I'm about to catch you up on this entire series. If you hadn't heard the other three messages, um, I, I put a lot into them. I, I hope that you would take the time to go back and, and catch up on those and, and see if the Holy Spirit uses those to minister to you or speak something to you. You can go listen to those. Um, but I'm going to give you like the, the essence of this entire series is uh, God didn't create you to be a leader. Okay, He put leadership in you. But he created you to be a follower of Jesus. So when you learn how to follow Jesus the way that he's calling you, then you will begin to lead the way that he created you. It's very important that you follow Jesus because if you're leading but you're not following Jesus, then you're probably leading yourself and everybody around you astray, which is something that you should be very conscious of. So in this series, we're talking about leading ourselves, leading our home, leading our friends, and then this week we're going to talk about leading our community, which is a little bit of a big bite to take. I mean, that's a little bit of an overwhelming objective. So let's go back to our series scripture, Psalm chapter 61, verse 2. The Bible says, from the ends of the earth, I call out to you. I'm becoming extremely familiar with this scripture because I have read it three times every Sunday for the last four weeks, which has helped me become familiar with this passage, Psalm 61, 2, from the ends of the earth. In other words, when I'm at the end of my rope, like I've turned, I have tied a knot and I'm hanging on with all I got left from the ends of the earth, I don't call out other people. I've said this almost every week and I will continue to say it. I don't just call everybody else out. Oh, you dirty, rotten sinners, you God-forsaken people. Don't you know who to vote for, what to say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. What's wrong with you? You're making everybody sick. This whole thing is a scam, da 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 da, da whatever. I don't call everybody else. I call out to God when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock. Now remember, the rock in the book of Exodus followed so the rock was alive. Moses was told to um, hit the rock or strike the rock. And then living water came out of the rock for the millions of people wandering through the wilderness to, to give themselves a drink and, and their livestock. And then the next time Moses was supposed to speak to the rock because the rock was Jesus. And, and you can only strike Jesus once. Like he was crucified once and for all, and you cannot trample underfoot the Son of God again. He was crucified. He laid down his life. So the first time, you're, you're stricken with him, but from then on, you are to speak to your situation in his name because he's already saved you from, are you with me today? So the rock was Jesus, and the psalmist understood what Paul confirmed, that the rock was Jesus. So what we're really saying is lead me to the rock Lead me to Jesus because he is higher than I. And, and I don't mean like, like the illegal kind of high. I'm talking about like the, 
like the spiritual kind, which is way better than the illegal kind. Trust me, I've had both, I'm telling you right now. It was BC, but I've had both, and the Jesus kind is way better than the other. In fact, you get enough of the Jesus kind, you'll leave that other stuff alone. I'm just letting you know that that's what happens, okay? Lead me. That was a third service only. You are welcome. I had a lot of coffee between these two. Matthew, I'm going to Matthew chapter 9, but before I go there, let me, let me tell you, like, this is my life objective, okay? This is how, this is how I, I, like, I actually live this thing out. This is how I become the husband, um, which is the most important underneath the son that I'm supposed to, how I'm the son that I'm supposed to be, the husband that I'm supposed to be, the, the friend that I'm supposed to be, the leader that I'm supposed to be, because God keeps putting people under my leadership, and I'm like, dude, do you know what you're doing? Like, if they knew me, they would not. Okay, so this keeps happening. How do I do this? Very simple statement. You ready? Very simple statement, very hard to live out. I want to be like Jesus. Listen, if you will make that the objective of your day, it will change the way you speak to people. It will change the way that you look at people. It will, it will certainly change the way that you respond to people. In fact, this statement will stabilize your emotions. Because if you want to be like Jesus, and you understand that he is eternal and unchanging, then whatever comes up against you that day will cause you to lean more into him instead of being affected so much by whatever that was. I want to be like Jesus. That's the only difference in my life from 1984 to 2006. And 2006 to today, as I just want to be like Jesus. When I'm not, I apologize. And I apologize a lot to my wife. <laughs> and she apologizes to me even more. Come on, we're trying to be like, there they are. I'm trying to, that's not true. I'm sorry. It's not true. See, uh, it's not true. But, but and my heart is true in the fact that this is, I believe, the answer. Matthew chapter 9. If you want to know who Jesus is, you go to the Gospels. If you want to know the history of the church and the birth of the church and how it grew and expanded and multiplied, you go to the book of Acts. If you want to see doctrine, you go to Romans. If you want to see how church people should be living for God, then you go to the epistles. If you want an abridged version of the gospel, you go to 1st and 2nd Peter or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you want to know what Jesus did and who he was and see the character of God in flesh, you turn to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns. In other words, he believed that he could have an impact on his community. I'm going to show you how. Don't get overwhelmed yet. He traveled through all the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, which is not something that I recommend. Like, don't go to another city and walk up in their church and start trying to preach, okay? Don't do that. If you do that here, I will have a uh, nice man or lady escort you back to your vehicle, and you can watch the rest of the service online, okay? So it's, you're not going to do that. I'm actually prepared. Jesus did that. And then the Bible says he went teaching and announcing the good news, that was being like Jesus, announcing the good news. Hear me, not arguing over the daily news. I thought that would be better than that. I was, that was like that was it right there. <laughs> you know, like mm. <laughs> some like two people like mm. everybody else like meh. Yes, <laughs> Jesus came announcing. In other words, his emotion. 
his mentality, his spirit was not based on the daily news as many people today are, even many church people today are. But his was based on the good news. He was announcing the good news. If I were to go evaluate your social media, can I ask you, are you better at arguing the daily news or announcing the good news? How about that for some, mm, I just, just wear that one for a minute and let that simmer in your spirit for a second and then be challenged. Because as amusing as it is, it's even more eternal. He announced the good news and then he proved it. By healing every kind of disease and illness. Listen, people don't leave the church because of what the church teaches. People leave the church because of the way people behave. In other words, nobody's walking away from Jesus because of belief. People are predominantly walking away from Jesus because they no longer believe based on the behavior of the people that said they did. That's tough, right? So like, this generation that is being referred to as the nuns, and I don't mean like the holy nuns, I mean like the, they believe in nothing. They have no religion, they have no spirituality. They don't believe in an afterlife. And that is, hear me, that is growing more in America than the church. The reason is not because it has anything to do with belief. It has it all to do with the behavior of the people that said that they believe. That's why Paul wrote so many books to the church. Now, we like to take the books that Paul wrote and tell sinners how they're supposed to be acting. But Paul wasn't writing to the world. Come on, somebody. Paul was writing to the people that said that they believed because he saw that their behavior didn't line up with what they said they believed. And people will leave and stop serving a real God because of fake people. People will walk away from the truth because of the people that are living a lie. So I just want to be like Jesus because I don't want to be that person. Now listen, just as a side note, and, and be careful, church, because don't let this be the only place you start amening. But just as a side note, when you stand before a holy God, you don't get to blame people. Okay, because, because God still sent his son, and you were never supposed to put your hope in humanity. You were supposed to put your hope in him. So you can't blame a real God because of fake people. Okay, I just, I don't know who that's for today. When Jesus saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion. That is an essential ingredient for leading yourself, your home, your friends, and certainly your city or your community. He had compassion. In other words, he cared more about them than he cared about himself because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you are a follower of Jesus, okay, now first of all, let me caution you. Because in the Bible Belt, a lot of people make this mistake. They think because they go to church that they're a Christian. But going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to a garage makes you a car. Come on, somebody. Okay, well, then I don't need to go to church. Yeah, okay, starve to death all week. See how that works out for you. Disconnect from you. You can't say you love Jesus and not like his bride. That doesn't work that way. In other words, you don't love her, you don't love me because we're a package deal. So Jesus and the church go together. They're both and the same. That was good preaching. I didn't even say that earlier. That was, 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, when I see an unbeliever act like an unbeliever, I'm unbothered. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't surprise me. When people that don't believe in a holy and perfect heavenly father and a righteous, sinless savior act like they don't believe in all those things that I just said because it's probably too good for me to say again the right way. When those people act like they don't believe and their behavior is a reflection of that lack of belief, then I'm not surprised. Why are you? Why is the church? Why are people that follow Jesus surprised when people who are not following Jesus behave as if they do not follow Jesus. What bothers me is when people who do say they believe in Jesus, say they are following Jesus, act just like, react just like, get just as angry, are offended by the same, are emotionally unstable as the people that don't believe. That bothers me. That infuriates me. And it it was the testimony of my life. Like people stopped following Jesus and used me as an excuse. And it was justified because I wasn't compassionate. I was frustrated and angry and selfish just like everybody else. So Jesus says to his disciples, not all the confused, helpless idiots out there that don't know what they're doing but the people that were supposed to make the difference in the ones that didn't know. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In fact, a few weeks ago, I said, but the workers are, and a couple of people said few. I said, no, distracted. See, because this message was written 2,000 years ago, and there were not nearly as many workers as there are today. Today, there are millions of workers. There are millions of so-called laborers for the sake of the gospel. The problem is the laborers are lazy. And the laborers are not few. They're just distracted. They live just like everybody around them that is supposed to be the harvest but is not yet part of the plan and the children of God. We're affected by the same things. Guys, we're arguing about the same things. We're frustrated by the same things. We post the same things. We comment about the same things. Evaluate your social media. Evaluate your emotional stability. And ask, is it more affected by the good news or the daily news? And then you'll know where you stand. He said, so pray. Verse 38. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Just like the psalmist said, I call out to God. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. And ask him to send more workers into this field. How do I lead my community? Because that's an overwhelming idea. Just like discovering your own ministry. Like, how do I change? Just this one man change this city. When I walk out of here and I can make one block and get really discouraged. <laughs> like, I can spend just a few hours driving around Eunice and be like, God, you're going to have to come back or something because I can't do this. And, and, and you know what he says? You're right. You can't, but I can if you'll let me. I just, but I need, I need you. 
just as much as you need me personally, I need you to reach them because I gave you the dominion. So how do I lead my community? It's really not as hard as it sounds. It really just happens one soul at a time. Now, I wrote soul. I actually typed person, and I deleted it. Because when I say person, you look at the skin and what you know about the person. You don't look at the soul and what God knows about the person. So when I say one soul at a time, what I'm saying is you got to see right past the skin color. you got to see right past the skin ink. you got to see right past the skin, the person, even the personality of that person. And you have got to get the heart of God for the soul in the individual that you're looking at. That's how you lead. Your community, one soul at a time. Um, Levi Lusco, influential pastor across the nation, I heard him on air one yesterday. He said, you know, we, he said that they lost their daughter. And he said, but I, but I need you to understand, like, we don't believe our daughter's dead. We believe that she's absent. And so I cry because I miss her, but I, I'm not crying because she's dead. I'm crying because... I miss her. I mourn because I miss her because she's not here. I understand that that body was just a vessel for what's truly alive, which is the soul and the spirit. So if he understands that about his daughter who has passed from this life into the next, why do we have such a hard time understanding that about the people that are standing right in front of us? They're right there. They're in our homes, they're at our office, they're on our campus. And yet we're just as distracted, just as combative as everybody else about everything else. And none of it, very little of it, has anything to do with the gospel. So if I want to lead my city, it will be one soul at a time. If you're taking notes, number one, the way that I begin to see people as he sees them and treat people the way that he would treat them is if I, number one, pursue Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, pray, that means you're seeking God. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful. Pray that he would send laborers. Pray that he would use you as a laborer. Why is it so important for me to pursue Jesus? Well, because in order for me to hear from him, in order for me to be led by him, I have to spend time with him. I can't obey somebody I'm not listening to. And I'm not going to listen to somebody I'm not talking to. Or I'm not spending time with. That I, don't get, that I don't ever give an ear to. So in order for me to hear from him and be led by him, I have to spend time with him. You need to evaluate whether you're ever spending any time with Jesus. Because, listen, if you spend more time on a screen than you do with your Savior, no wonder you're acting like everybody else is watching the same stuff. If you spend more time just like everybody else spends their time, then why would you think you would be any different? Let me say it this way. Spending time around someone... And spending time with someone are not the same thing. Those two things are not equal. In other words, you can come to church on Sunday morning and not spend time with Jesus. 
You can just watch other people spend time with Jesus. You can be in your house and not spend time with your spouse, with your children, with your friends. With your... You can go to dinner with your best friend and not spend a moment with them because you're on your phone. And listen, before um, my generation and above begins to condemn the younger generation and below for all the time that they spend on the screen, let's not cast stones of condemnation just because our screen was different 20 years ago and it didn't offer as much as their screen does. Because we started watching TV, now they're texting. Don't get mad at them because they're doing the same thing worse. Because whatever we do in moderation, come on, the next generation will do in excess. And it ain't their fault, it's ours. So if we want to make the adjustment, we don't start by pointing our finger. We start by praying and asking God to show us where we can change. Come on, that's good right there. God, help me. Lead me to Jesus, the rock that is higher than I. Spending time around someone and spending time with someone is not the same thing. For instance, I know people who have said, man, you know, Pastor, we have just grown apart. We've just grown apart over the years. We've just grown apart. I mean, our children are gone, and that's the problem is, is that the only thing that you had in common for the last 18 years was your children, and now that they're gone, you realize that you're stuck with a roommate that you no longer know. Why? Because you stopped getting to know them a long time ago. Because you put your children before Jesus and your marriage, and that got out of line, and so now that that's gone, your priorities are all mixed up, and you think there's something wrong with your marriage when really there's something wrong with you. So we've grown away, and we've just grown apart you know, we've just grown apart. No, no, no. The problem is not that you've grown apart. The problem is that you stopped growing together. Because when you made covenant with God and you became one, you can no longer live as individuals. You can only live in Him together. It's like the story of the little old man, little old lady driving down the road in a Ford or Chevy or whatever your American-made vehicle is. And if it's not American-made, shame on you. Depositing finances into other countries. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like Tacomas too. So I like Dodges too. I just don't have one. So and it's that bench seat. And so just imagine the old truck, you know, and, and it's blowing smoke all in your face. You're like, I thought there was an emission law. And so as you're driving real slow, you're like, I wish they'd make them take their driver's test again. And that little man don't even know what you're yelling at. He got to turn his steering wheel 17 times in order to make the right. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you drove that car. That steering wheel was as big as your arms are. Like you turn the wheel and it comes with. So here he is driving down the road. His, his little his, his wife of years is, is leaning over on the other side of that bench seat, which they don't make those anymore. Well, if they do, I don't have one. So they, that bench seat across the front, and she leans over, leans, looks over at him and says, you remember when, when you used to hold me and love on me and whisper to me while we were driving down the road? You don't ever even do that anymore. You don't love on me while we're going anywhere. You just drive. He looks back over at her and says, woman, I ain't moved. <laughs> well, listen to me, friend, listen. If God seems distant to you, it's not because he's changed. If God seems far away, it's not because he stopped pursuing you. It's not because he stopped following. It's because... So here's what I want to ask today. What are you doing to close the gap? If you feel like there's a distance in your relationship, what are you doing to close the gap? I'm talking about leading our community. What are you doing to pursue Jesus? Hey, hear me. Listen. Scoot back over. Scoot back over. 
Jesus didn't lay his life down on the cross so you could spend time around him and watch other people spend time with him. He gave his, he gave his life so you could walk with him step by step every single day. Number two, participate in his plan. Participate in his plan. Luke chapter 7, this is where we'll land in today, dig in a little bit. Verse 11 in chapter 7 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nam, and a large crowd followed him. Okay, remember that. Jesus went to another city. A large crowd was following Jesus. Verse 12, and a, pro a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. So you got to imagine this picture. Jesus is walking with this large crowd of people, and he's going towards this city gate. And as he's coming into the city, this funeral procession is coming out of the city. As he approached that gate, let me find my spot again. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. So this lady had lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. It was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. So there's two crowds in this story. One crowd is following Jesus. That's life. The other crowd is following a funeral procession. That's death. One crowd is following light. The other one is walking in darkness. Come on, do you see the two? Life and light, death and darkness. And all of a sudden, these two crowds converge. And watch what happens. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her. See, a minute ago, Jesus was moved with compassion for a crowd of people. But now he's just moved for compassion for one person. You know, sometimes God will take the eyes of your spirit and hone in on just one, one person. Maybe your, your significant other for a season. It, it may be a parent that you should have sent that message to a long time ago. It may be a coworker that you should have invited to. It may be whomever. It may be your child that you haven't really spent any time with. You've been around a whole lot, but you haven't invested with recently. And God will cause the eyes of your spirit to hone in onto somebody. Let me just say, it is very rare that the devil will make the eyes of your spirit focus on another soul. So when God does it, you need to be obedient to it. The Bible says that Jesus saw her, and there that word is again, his heart overflowed with concern for her despite how busy he was. His heart overflowed with compassion for her. And then he says to the lady who had lost her husband and her son, hey, don't cry. Well, that was pretty insensitive. <laughs> she said, hey, stop crying. Okay, I don't think he said it that way, but I'll just go with me a little bit, just a little... A literary imagination here. The Bible doesn't say, so we get to play around in our own imagination. Jesus tells the woman, stop crying. Don't cry. She's like, it's son's funeral. <laughs> so then he walks over, verse 14, he walks over and he puts his hand on the coffin. This dude is bold. <laughs> in other words, he stops the darkness. And then... When he touches the coffin, I've been a pallbearer in a couple of memorial services, funerals. I've been, you know, carrying the coffin with someone in there 
that either I loved and was pretty close to or somebody else that I was close to and loved, loved the, and, I, and, and carrying this. And so I want you to imagine, like, you're just there. Come on, this is how we make Scripture more fun. <laughs> it's like you got to see from the perspective of different characters. And so I'm the pallbearer, and there's this crowd coming, and we're, like, looking at one another, like, man, should we, like, juke them and dodge? I mean, should we take a left? Like, what do, should we turn around and go back to the church? <laughs> what, what do we need to do? All these people, and then one of the guys in this crowd that it seems like everybody's kind of following, he walks up, and he does like this on the coffee, like, ooh, should I kick him? I mean, should I, should I shove him? I mean, this is a real story. The Bible says they just stopped and they just stood there. Real awkward. Like that. They didn't go anywhere. Extremely uncomfortable. Can I tell you that sometimes Jesus just needs you to stand in the gap and hold somebody up because they're dead and they're lost and they're stuck in darkness. And if you'll just stand there and hold as awkward and as uncomfortable, come on. This is how you know God is using you. When you get uncomfortable, it makes you available. Come on, somebody. If you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not available. But when you learn how to stand in and just let in the awkward moments, that's how you know you're walking with him. And so these pallbearers, they stopped. Because some dude is putting his hand on the coffin. And then this guy with his hand on the coffin starts talking to the dead guy. He says to the dead boy, young man, I tell you to get up. Remember, you're a pallbearer. You're standing there. You're like, it ain't happening, dog. (laughs) There have been people screaming at this kid for like the last three days. He gone. <laughs> we already said the stuff. Like we on our way to the graveside. Jesus says, I tell you to get up. I don't know if he said it in his black preacher voice or not, but that's just how I hear him talking. <laughs> it excites me. And they're standing there holding. And then verse 15 says, the dead boy set up. Now, I don't know what happened to the pallbearers at this point. <laughs> But I'm just going to imagine that they ain't just still standing there holding this coffin up because the dead boy pops up and begins to talk to the amazement and the surprise. And then the man that stopped the coffin picked the boy up off the ground because the pallbearers dropped him, and they handed him back to his mama. I'm telling you, there's something significant about you being willing to get uncomfortable so that you can stand in the gap for the dead person that needs to hear the voice of Jesus. There's something supernatural about you becoming a Available enough, even when it gets awkward, not to go anywhere, not to leave them in their darkness, not to leave them in their death, until Jesus changes their trajectory. He healed that dead boy. And I'm not talking about just physical healing. You know where that boy is today? Dead. It is not impressive that God could raise somebody from the dead. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, don't be impressed because the demons are in submission to you. 
Don't be impressed that you can heal the sick. Be impressed that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Be impressed that I could use even you to impact somebody else's eternity. The dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Number three, as you pursue Jesus and you participate in his plan, you begin to produce his purpose. Listen, if you can't look at your life and see whether you're producing his purpose, then you need to look back and see if you're participating in his plan. If you're not participating in his plan, hear me, listen, listen, then you need to look back and see if you are really even pursuing him. Because the worst thing that you could do for your life and everybody in it is assume that you are saved when you're not truly following Jesus. I speak from experience. It's a scary place to be. When you pursue Jesus and you participate in his plan, you begin to produce his purpose. The Bible says in verse 16 of Luke chapter 7, Great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God. That's weird. Because um, scared people usually scream, not sing. Come on, like, <laughs> you know, like if you scare somebody, they don't go, Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. No, that's not what happens. They scream, they don't sing. It's just not what happens. But the Bible says that these people were overwhelmed by that word right there, great fear. Fear right there. This is actually a really good translation of this scripture. Great fear. That word is phobos in the Greek. It's where we get the word phobia. Like it, it literally means panic. That's why, I know, that's why I know the pallbearers weren't still standing there. Oh, oh, that was cool. Hey, see that? What's up, bro? Been hoping you'd wake up. No, no, no. That's not what happened. Phobos. Panic. Terrified. Fear. Swept over the crowd. And then they praised God. That caught me. Lord, those two things don't seemingly go together. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom. And then God reminded me that Paul wrote that we were created in His image and likeness for His glory. So now it's not surprising that God used the compassion of a person to bring the fear of the Lord that ignited the praise of a people. 
What I'm telling you is that if you will get over yourself and if you will stop making everything about you and you will begin to desire most of all to want to be like Jesus, then you will begin to have the same heart of compassion that he had on that day. We can walk in on this day. And when the compassion of a person meets the fear of the Lord, a praise of a people begins to break out. If you want to win Eunice, Louisiana, win Iota, win Basil, win La tell win Opelousas, win Phil Platt, win Elton. If you want to see God expand our territory and enlarge our tents, it will be for his glory and his plan and his purpose. So it will take the compassion of a person directed at another person that would ignite the great fear of the Lord that would lead to the wisdom of an individual that will ultimately make praise spread like wildfire wildfire across this community great fear and they all praised God I don't know like I've scared my wife a lot she's never burst out in praise I was hiding under the bed one time it was dark it was late she walked back around the corner I grabbed her ankle she kicked me there was no praise <laughs> no praise something was different it took the compassion. How do I lead my community? How do I win my class? How do I? What if God put the drug dealer in your path? I'm not, I'm not talking about the person that he deals to. You can save one. Praise God. What if, what if he puts the dealer in your path? You don't think he's been put in the path of a so-called saint in this city? You want to see this city one? It will be done one soul at a time. You want to continue to see it stray? And let's just keep coming to church and patting ourselves on the back because we did one thing that week that God wanted from us. We'll take the compassion of a person directed to another person to ignite the reverent fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom that would ultimately launch a community into proper praise in the purpose of a heavenly father. The Bible says in the next verse, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Eunice, just couldn't be contained. What God was doing in that person was just too powerful to stay with that person. It spread throughout Acadiana, it broke the stronghold of religion confusion and helplessness and led to making the name of Jesus famous to a person and a people spread to the surrounding countryside I close with this people are looking for purpose 
you show somebody their purpose, they'll do just about anything to accomplish it. You help somebody find their why for existence, and they won't care what it takes because they're focused on why it's taking whatever it's taking. People are looking for purpose. Millennials are looking for purpose. People across this nation in a pandemic or a scamdemic, I don't care what you call it. It's real for people that have lost loved ones and it's a scam to people that haven't even gotten sick. You put whatever you want to on it. But people right now are looking for purpose. And listen to me, the worse this thing gets, the more people will look for purpose. We hold God's purpose. We say we believe in His purpose beyond this life. Way more than just a body, a soul, and a spirit. Reignited. Understanding that we were created to render glory, which is what that word praise truly means. Will we share His purpose one soul at a time by participating in His plan? Which ultimately and most importantly stems from just pursuing Jesus. So before you gather your things, before anybody gets up, even leaders, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. As we conclude a series, we'll launch a new series next week. I meant you too. Would you ask the Lord? Am I pursuing you? Pleases you. Not because it saves me, but because you saved me. Am I participating in your plan for my life and the people around me? Are you a part of my life or in control? Lord, am, am I producing purpose in other people? What would you like to change about my habits, my schedule? I'm talking to the followers of Jesus. I'm talking to the church, the believers. God, what would you like to change about my compassion? What would you like to change about my attitude? What would you like to change about my heart? I want to be like Jesus. I want people to look at me and see him. Lord, how can I close the gap between who I am and who you are? What practical difference do I need to implement into my life today? As the followers of Jesus are evaluating right now, I want to talk to the people that don't know if they know him. I'm talking to the people that aren't confident of who they are in Christ. 
I may be talking to somebody that up to this point today has been falsely confident of who they are in Christ, but right now you're a little bit uneasy. I think that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Don't let the enemy condemn you. Just answer the call. He's calling you to confess Him as Lord, to commit, to surrender. He doesn't need your strength. He just needs your surrender. I want to invite you wherever you are, whether you're watching online or whether you're right here in the house this morning, as the church is praying, if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior today, if you need to commit or recommit your life to Him, I want to invite you to simply open your hands because we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, which we're about to do. And we believe in our heart, but we need to position ourselves to receive. I want you to open your hands as if God is giving you a gift. Why? Because Jesus gave himself. But you have to receive. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you, just open your hands. Church, I want to support whoever needs to commit for the first time or the first time in a long time. Let's pray this together right now. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short. Cleanse me of my sin. My sin separates me from you. Save me. Help me to follow you with all of my heart. I believe you died on the cross. You were raised from the dead so that I could live. So take my life right now. Make it yours. You know who I was, but you know who I could be. Help me, use me, fill me in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, give God praise this morning.